Hey, hey, welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, November 27th, 2023. I hope you all had a terrific Thanksgiving weekend. Due to the holiday, I'm recording this introduction almost two weeks in advance of November 27th. So it is hard for me to comment about the situation in Israel without being slightly out of date. As of the time of the recording of this introduction, the situation is still not good. The hostages have not yet been released, the terrorists have not yet been eradicated, and there still seems to be a large number of Jew haters in America and throughout the world. Hopefully, in the few weeks between the recording of this introduction and today, November 27th, all of this is no longer true. Either way, as always, sending love and support to all of our listeners in Israel and to Jewish people throughout the world. Today's podcast is a very special one. We are going to hear the birth story of Katie Yin, who is one of my all-time favorite patients. The birth story is going to be in two parts, with the first part dropping today and the second part next week. Today, Katie is going to tell the birth story of her first pregnancy, which was sadly a term stillbirth. Next week, she's going to tell the story of her next pregnancy, which happily ended with the birth of baby boy Kai earlier this year. We have discussed stillbirth on this podcast before several times, and I think Katie's story is a really important insight into what it is like for someone to go through such a horrible event, as well as what it is like in the next pregnancy. Katie was kind enough to volunteer to tell both stories, and I'm certain you're going to find them compelling. We can all learn a tremendous amount from hearing Katie's stories. All right, reminder for everyone listening on Apple or Spotify, it would be great if you could rate this podcast, preferably with five stars. Please do leave comments and suggestions. I read all of them. If you want to email us any questions for our mailbag podcast or suggestions for future topics, you can send them in by email to hw at healthfulwoman.com, or you can go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com, and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Also, if you want to pre-order the book Emily Oster and I wrote called The Unexpected, we do have a link on our website, so please take a look at that. All right, thanks for listening. See you all again next Monday for part two of Katie's story. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Katie. Welcome to the podcast. It's nice to see you in person again. Thank you for having me. How you doing? These days, never better. <laughs> I've got a six-month-old crawling around, tearing up my apartment probably as we speak. It's if amazing. you had told me six months ago that I would be here today, I, I definitely wouldn't have believed you. Wait, you wouldn't have believed you'd be talking about your story in the podcast? What do you mean? I, it, it, until you put Kai on my chest, ah, got I it. didn't believe I was taking him home and that I was going to have a, a little terror running around. It's pretty amazing. So you just, you just left him home alone, just do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. He's got his own life, you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's busy. Well, you know, he's probably he's probably posting and, you know, checking his Twitter feed. And Digital natives. That's it's amazing. Right. That's so nice. So we go sort of way back. We've had a lot of a lot of time together, which is great. <laughs> but this is really, I guess, our first time to just talk about your whole story start to finish. We were talking about this before offline that like this is a really cool opportunity for both of us just to talk. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to to debrief, as I said, your pregnancy with your doctor all that often. You kind of just, you know, you have your six month check and then they say, go enjoy your baby and we'll see you next time. Yeah. With your doctor and thousands of people who are listening (laughs) as well. Debrief with all of them. So I know you, Katie, but maybe give us a little background about who you are, where you're from, just sort of set the stage and then we'll start talking. Sure. So I met my husband at Columbia, where we both went to college. Mm -hmm. We started dating shortly after college. So we've been here in New York City for a long time. And we got married about five years ago. We were planning to start trying for babies like end of 2019. And then obviously Mm -hmm. uh, COVID put those plans on hold a little bit. We hit a couple of roadblocks and ended up needing to do fertility treatments and eventually made the decision to move to IVF which we did with some pretty quick success. Like it it wasn't the smoothest infertility journey, but I think all things considered, we felt like we got off pretty easy. Right. So you guys, you're both living in New York City and what kind of work are you guys doing? Oh, I'm a television producer. Um, Uh I'm a cable news producer. My husband is in finance. And so we're just kind of, you know, we've got, we're surrounded by all of our college friends. We uh, have this full life here and, and we're a pretty happy newly married couple. Oh, excellent. So you decide to have kids. You're, I guess we're knee deep in the, in the pandemic and you're doing IVF. Was your IVF like pandemic style IVF where you're coming in with like, you know, full body suits and Frank has to wait in the car outside and like that whole thing. Or was it sort of post that? It was like we were still it was uh, pre-vaccination when we started. Uh So we were still like I wasn't allowed to have visitors appointments and things like that. Right. At first. And then, you know, it took us a little while. So I think I probably got pregnant. Our transfer was successful around June of 21. Right. So then by the time I was going through a pregnancy, we had the, some of the restrictions were starting to relax and I right. was probably going to be able to have him with me while I was delivering. That mm-hmm. was big anxiety and everything like that. Yeah. So the, the bulk of your pregnancy was, I guess, in 2021 and then you ultimately delivered in 22. Right. So how did that pregnancy go? Like, tell me about that. Super, I would say average low risk pregnancy. I am an anxious person at baseline. I was Mm -hmm. close to somebody who had a late stillbirth before. So I was kind of acutely aware that there's no like safe time in a pregnancy and things can go wrong. But outside of that, we didn't have a lot of medical complications. We, I I kind of called about one thing or another that that I was worried about from time Mm -hmm. to time, but nothing concerning from my doctor's standpoint. And we were we were scheduled and ready to have a low risk 39 week induction right up at the end. Right. So you essentially you're as some would call a low risk pregnancy. I mean, whether you call IVF high risk, whatever. Right. But basically you're fine. You're healthy. You're doing well. Everything's going okay. Baby's okay, And you're planning a 39 week induction, which is I don't want to say unusual because it's perfectly fine, obviously. But you're saying you were specifically doing that because you had concerns about a stillbirth. Right. I was anxious. It, it was sort of a distant family member who had mm-hmm. had this stillbirth. And so while the I think family history wasn't considered significant, my OB understood that like I was really worried about this and that, you know, just for everybody's sanity, we could right. go ahead and schedule a 39 week induction. Right. And so what what happened leading up to that? I had had I had a couple of growth scans toward the end because of IVF and because I was on thyroid medication. So um, I had a growth scan at 38 plus zero, 38 weeks, zero days. Everything looked good, good heartbeat, and she was growing well. 
And then four days later, I had my just routine 38 week visit. I, everything, you know, I was running late for the appointment. Everything kind of felt normal. And I went in for my visit. We were talking through my induction, which was scheduled for three days later. And so she was talking to me about how that would go. Should you get an epidural? Should you not get an epidural? How dilated was I, which was not at all. And she was kind of saying, are you sure you want to get induced? And then kind of as she was about to send me on my way out the door, she said, let's just get a quick, quick ultrasound and check on the baby. And that's when, unfortunately, we saw that there was no heartbeat, which was kind of a shocker to, well, of course, to me, it was like, earth-shatteringly devastating. I think it also shocked my doctor yeah. quite a bit. And, you know, it, it was hard to to know what to make of it at the time. It right. was sort of like my whole world shut down a little bit. My memories, I'm still in trauma therapy over all of this. So we talk yeah. about my memories being very blurry of this moment. I didn't like burst into tears or anything. It was more like I shut down yeah. and, and everything was kind of a blur for the rest of the day. Were you alone at that visit? I was, yeah. So it was still sort of, I think by then we were probably allowed to have visitors, but it was just sort of a shadow of COVID and we were used to Frank not coming to the routine visits and we weren't expecting anything. We just had a, a big, you know, fancy scan a few days ago where we'd seen the baby this was really just a, a cervical check to see how miserable my induction was going to be. In in hindsight, do you have a sense of when you felt the baby move prior to that? Yeah. So I've thought nonstop yeah. about this, I think, since. I definitely, in retrospect, felt some differences in the morning. I still noticed some movement in the morning. Wow. And my last clear memory of feeling movement was in the shower before the appointment. I did not do a kick count that morning, which I normally did the first time, you know, first thing when I woke up every day, but I was kind of running late today. So I, I didn't do one, but I felt her moving in the shower. I actually felt her like tumble, I thought in the shower and was thinking, oh, great. Like she's changed positions and she's going to be breached now or some kind of other curveball I wasn't expecting. I didn't notice her moving when I was walking across the park to my doctor's visit. And I kind of mentioned that on my way in the door. She said, you know, how are you feeling? Are you feeling the baby move? And I said, yeah, she was moving a lot this morning. I'm not feeling her now. And and the doctor kind of said, oh, well, that's fine. You know, this yeah. morning is good. And yeah. she's probably asleep or something like that. Yeah. And which is why I think she wasn't suspicious enough to do an ultrasound at the beginning of the appointment. Right. And kind of waited as a formality until the end. Right. What do you remember about from that point? Now you have to deliver the baby. Right. Right. And so she must have gone over, you know, with the options. And again, it's the same process you went through. It's an induction, but obviously it's much more horrible. Right. In that sense. Do you do you have memories of that? Yeah. So, I mean, she had just kind of talked me through how an induction was going to go, assuming I was going to have a living baby. So kind of her advice was, OK, well, do all of that, but like definitely get an epidural <laughs> right, right away. Right. So, you know, at this point, like I remember saying after I delivered Ellie that I didn't feel any pain because my epidural was so great and that labor wasn't wasn't so hard. And someone said, well, you might have just been a little numb, like yeah. in general. And yeah. I think that that was true. I think that there was a lot of kind of checking out, zoning out that I did just to sort of survive those couple of days. So, you know, I, we headed straight to the hospital. My husband met me there. It was all sort of kind of surreal and unbelievable and very hard to grasp because I still felt very pregnant and I could still feel Ellie, you know, I, I she wasn't moving, but I could feel that I was still pregnant with her. 
so it was very difficult to sort of accept that this had happened. I think for both of us, we we had to have more confirmation scans at the hospital once we got there. And we, we asked on the advice of the people we knew who had had a previous stillbirth, if we could have an amnio before we started the induction process. So that was another thing that kind of kicked off our experience in the hospital. Right. You mean to get genetic testing to That's see right. if there was a cause, yeah. to identify a cause. Yeah. I mean, that was that was good advice, but it is hard to, you know, process that and think about that yeah. at the time. It, we kind of got into like business mode a little bit. It's sort of yeah. like, okay, this happened and it's horrible. I need to do everything I can to figure out. I was just uh, like kind of instantly obsessed with, okay, what happened? What went wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and how can we not miss our chance to figure that out? So are you guys both like that? Meaning are you and Frank both similarly, I guess, focused, I guess is the right word. And that's in that scenario, because people go obviously in many different directions when they get such horrible news and they're all fine, like reasonable, obviously, but different people sort of, I don't know. It's not cope is the right word. Different people just respond or react differently. Yeah. Were you guys sort of on the same page with that? I'd say we were opposites. And I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of a good thing that we were. It was helpful for me. Frank really seemed to go into like support my wife mode. Like he, Mm -hmm. the most, the the most horrible thing obviously was losing Ellie, but he kind of could not believe that now I had to go into labor and deliver a seven pound baby, you know? So he was very much just focused on like, okay, how can we get you through this? And, you know. He's a good man. Yeah. Yeah. So he was there doing the emotional support and I was sort of messaging people and doctors we knew and trying to figure out like, is there anything we missed? And is there anything that we should ask for? And people were really helpful. I think shocked that I was texting them under the circumstances. Like, why aren't you just kind of hiding in the hospital? But really helpful. And I'm glad we got that amnio to sort of dispel doubt that we had missed something genetically. Right. Did you also get any advice from whoever, you know, whoever you're reaching out to about like emotional support at that time? You know, because there's all these questions like, you know, do we take photos with the baby? You know, all sort of those types of things that it's very hard to make these decisions and what's right. And is it going to work? Is it not? And were you getting advice in that realm also? We were from the people we knew who had experienced a stillbirth before. And it's really hard. It's really hard to make some of those decisions when you're in the thick of it, because I I was really scared to hold a baby, my baby who had passed away. Like I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like and and struggled with the decision to do it. I mean, I knew I was going to hold her. I knew I was going to see her. I I thought I wouldn't want to be confronted with pictures of her. I mm-hmm. thought that if, you know, I saw them accidentally on my phone or something that I'd be traumatized later that and and I got some pretty emphatic advice to just take the pictures and right, you never have to look at them yeah. if you don't want to, but just take the pictures. And it turned out that in the weeks following Ellie's birth, and even now, it was really comforting to me that I could have them and look at her and remember what she looked like. And if that memory had faded, you know, as it kind of quickly can, that would have been pretty devastating. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've sadly spoken to a lot of people who've had stillbirths, and there's such a wide range from some people who just cannot sort of think of this child Right. As one of their children because it's too painful. Right. right? And, you know, they, they can't hold a the child. They don't want to look at pictures of the child and they try not to think about him or her and 
okay, totally understandable. And there's others, on the other hand, if you ask them, you know, how many children do I have? You know, do you have, they list that child with a name and with, right. a, you know, like sort of it, as any other child. And let's say, you know, I've, I have, you know, one son and I have a daughter who passed away. Right. And, and there's everything in between. And there's no right or wrong, obviously. It's sort of how different people feel about this. But as you said, no one's prepared to think about this or make these decisions. And it's just, I can't understand how people come to those decisions. You just sort of go with your gut, I guess. It's really hard. We had a social worker speak with us who kind of, it's just a ton of information coming at you at the, like within hours of finding out that you lost your baby, who you're expected to take home, you know, four days later in our case. And there was a lot that, that they were asking us you know, do you want religious services? Do you want to do an autopsy? What are you, what are your funeral arrangement plans? Things like right. that, that I'm like, I can't even right. understand the question that you're yeah. asking me right now. And I think we had to have those conversations pretty repetitively. I, we had yeah. a, a nurse named Ashley, who I'll never forget, who mercifully kind of uh, asked the social worker if she would take a pause and just reminded us that we didn't need to make those decisions, you know, in an instant and that we right. could change our minds and that we would have time to think about it even after Ellie was born, how we wanted to proceed. So I'll always be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Do you have recollection of the birth itself? I do. I felt like my induction, my labor and the birth was as medically physically smooth as it could have been which was a a mercy it was you know i had the the epidural from Mm -hmm. before we started anything my husband and i kind of cuddled in bed with movies thank goodness he could be there and we were past those restrictions and i i pushed like four times and she was delivered pretty easily and with minimal you know complications for me so it was very quiet, I think, is my memory there. Are, you know, I think I feel like in my memory, I don't know if this is accurate. The OB was sort of speaking in whispers and was trying to be very calming. And after Ellie was born, obviously, there was no crying. And she was kind of it was my decision that I didn't want to see her until she was kind of cleaned up and yeah. dressed, you know, yeah. Wrap, wrapped, wrapped up. Yeah. yeah. So she was whisked away pretty quickly and then we were kind of left alone for a while i wanted to feel ready before i held her and i think my husband agreed with that so it probably i'm not sure like time is really elastic in in these memories but i think it took maybe an hour before i said okay you know i'm ready to see her and then and then it became okay i have to see her now and hurry up and like where is she and so I, I don't know. All in all, I think the birth, like I remember it as a pretty special experience with her. It was my first time going through a labor and delivery. I feel like she and I got to experience that together, even though she had passed already. And I kind of treasure those final memories with her, even though that probably sounds weird to say. No, I don't think it sounds weird at all. I mean, this is, I mean, your memories with her are going to include your pregnancy and delivery. Right. I mean, that's, sadly obviously that's those your memories there but that's that's your time together that's your bond and i think that makes a lot of sense that that's that's what you remember and that's what you hold dear and i mean how do you get through a horrible situation like that obviously but i think that that is something that you're gonna fortunately under the circumstances always have you'll have those memories and and for you you know the photos will 
be able to bring back those memories that are obviously very painful, but also whatever comfort you could possibly get afterwards, it's going to be that you had that opportunity to hold her and spend time with her and you have the birth with her and then it went smoothly and it wasn't the birth itself wasn't a trauma like right. I mean, at least the birth went smoothly under the circumstances and i was so grateful for that because i do yeah. know people who went on to have complicated deliveries yeah. after learning that they had lost their baby you you can't sort of fathom enduring physical pain risk to yourself risk to your future fertility or ability to carry a baby so I, I was really grateful that it was so uncomplicated. Yeah. And I imagine your memories are accurate that the OB was probably speaking quietly, lights dim. I yeah. mean, this is, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not the time to be a cheerleader and count to 10. It's much right. more somber and, right. you know, obviously, and that's, it's very hard to be on that end as well. I mean, yeah, not, I can not, to the, not to the same degree that you guys are in, but it is hard. It's, it's, it's horrible to try to, no one knows what the right thing to do is, and you want to just help someone get through in the least traumatic way possible. So generally people go into the, you know, quiet, calming, calm, you yeah. know, try to keep this as, you know, I guess soothing as humanly yeah, possible. Yeah, I feel the like she was trying to minimize our pain physically yeah. and yeah. emotionally, which was appreciated at yeah. the time. When were you able to go home? So I, I think I started to have a more intense emotional reaction, obviously, while I was holding Ellie and after I was holding Ellie. So up until that time, I think I was a little bit suppressed. That's when things are blurry. And I was just sort of zonked and not fully processing what was happening. After Ellie was born, it, really after we kind of held her and said goodbye to her, that was when I started to feel incredibly agitated. And it was really hard for me to sit with those feelings in the hospital. So, you know, I had a, a feeling that I needed desperately to get out of the room that I delivered in. So I became very insistent. And I usually try to be a, you know, pleasant patient person to be around. I became very insistent that you mm -hmm. have to get us out of this room right now, like move us to some floor. I didn't want to go to a postpartum floor. Yeah. So they were looking for a regular room for us. That took some time. And then we got to the regular room and I was like, I can't be here either. I, I have to go, go home. home. Yeah. yeah. So I was a little bit frantic and desperate to get out of the hospital. I messaged my OB in the portal and said, can I get out of here? And then I asked a nurse to ask the doctor who was on call if I could get out of here. And the on-call OB came by and said, you know, yeah, you, you seem fine. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can go home. I was so, so grateful to be able to go home and that my husband and I, my husband didn't have to, for some reason, I was really upset about the fact that he'd have to sleep in a recliner next to me on it, like that he had to be uncomfortable, that this was just a terrible experience for all of us and we should get to be in our own bed. So I was really grateful that we were able to be home. As soon as I walked through the door of my apartment, I got a message back from my OB in the portal saying, no, you really should stay. We, we sort of don't know if anything's up with you and we want to monitor your blood pressure, et cetera. But it was too late. I, I <laughs> pretended I didn't see it and I stayed at home and slept in my own bed that night. So, yeah. After you get home over the next, let's say, month, couple weeks to month, what was it that you found helpful or things that brought you comfort during that horrible time period? So if anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was hard. My my husband and I had, I think, in this case, op pretty opposite reactions, too. And I think we were there for each other. Like it, it bonded us um, pretty strongly as a couple because we were the only people who were really living in this universe. Obviously, our, our families were, too, but we were the ones who kind of had lost our baby. So there was a sense that 
it was the two of us in it together and sort of living in this bubble. He was, he needed to stay in that bubble for as long as possible. So he kind of shut out the the text messages and the condolences and he didn't really want to see anybody and didn't want to talk to anybody. I felt pretty desperate to hear from people who had been through this before because I, I think my feeling was that the intensity of the pain was so great that I needed a sense that I would survive it. Like it was just really difficult to get through each day. So I wanted to hear from people that, you know, one way or another, this will get better. You know, here's how I kept going. Here's sort of what you can do. And so I was sort of feverishly reaching out to people on social media who I saw who had posted about their late stillbirths and people I knew who had experienced pregnancy loss. It was surprising. There were people who I was probably less close to in my life who are incredibly supportive in terms of checking in and staying checked in, who I'm now definitely closer with because of Ellie. So I, I think of those as the little Ellie gifts in my life. Mm-hmm. I have one friend who we, we delivered Ellie on February 15th, 2022. So I have a friend who still checks in every the 15th of every month just to let me know that she's still thinking of Ellie. So those those moments, those people were very treasured. People who kind of let me know that that they were thinking of her and kept her memory alive. And importantly, like, you know, the food shows up at your house in the, the two weeks after. I think everybody always says this when, when you lose a family member. It's the six weeks after when people sort of, yeah. you know, move, move on and you're still stuck there in your grief that it's that I felt really grateful for the people who didn't leave me alone. Yeah, I think that that's been a recurring theme. Again, some people don't want to hear from anybody. Right. Okay. But for people who do get comfort from hearing from people, from people reaching out, it essentially, the rule is, if you don't know whether to reach out, reach out. Exactly. It's just like, it's it's almost, it's never going to be a problem. Right. Right. And it's always, again, like you said about your friend, it's reaching out every month. It's... Number one, they're checking in on you. But like you said, it also keeps Ellie alive. It keeps right. her around. You right. know, otherwise, like the part of the the trauma of this is your fear that she's going to be forgotten. Exactly. And so when people remember her, it helps, you know, keep her, it just keeps her memory alive, which is just so special. There's a weird thing, especially with stillbirth, where it's treated, you know, you're not sure sort of how to describe whether you've lost a child or lost a pregnancy, if that makes sense. So there are some people who respond as if, oh, you were so close to having a baby and you didn't. That must be so, you know, sort of disappointing. And those were kind of the well-intentioned messages that really broke my heart. Because to me, I I saw her as my first child and a very big part of my family, not an almost baby. So I was really grateful for the people who kind of understood that or you know, were able to understand from what I was saying that that was my feeling about her and respond in kind. Yeah, I mean, that's such an important message. And, you know, and we've had other people come on and talk about stillbirth. And that is definitely another theme that comes up that a lot of times very well-intentioned, loving people say things that are very painful. Right. Uh, They don't mean to, obviously. It's just because they don't know what to say or they just say the wrong thing. And so part of like these stories is not just support for you and not just support for people who have gone through something similar to you, but it's also 
sort of messaging to people who have loved ones who are going through this, like, this is what you're thinking. This is what you're experiencing. Here are things that are helpful. Here are things that are not right. helpful. Like, please avoid those. Exactly. We <laughs> have, a, um, I was, I'm grateful to have been hooked up with a support group called Griffin Cares that was really instrumental to me and still is in my recovery. And they have basically handouts you can send to your family members to say, here are the do's and don'ts for talking to me about my loss. Um, I wish I had had that sooner, but it's really helpful. Wow. I think what we're going to do is we're going to stop here and then we're going to pick up again to talk about your next pregnancy. But thank you so much for coming on and talking about your first pregnancy, your loss with Ellie. It's very painful to talk about, obviously, but it's so important whether you do or don't find this therapeutic, you're nodding yes, but even if you didn't, and, <laughs> you know, it is so important for us to hear your story, to sort of know what you went through and what you go through and to be able to help others who may unfortunately have to go through this at some point. So really, I, I from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for doing this because it's not easy, thank but I really you. do appreciate no, it. it. Is, it's not easy, but it is a privilege and it, it does make me feel a bit lighter to be able to talk about her. So thank you. Excellent. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.